1: That's Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Good
3: evening and welcome to this episode of the Full Press Raiders podcast. I'm your host, Terrence Biggs. Well, hopefully most of you have relaxed, calmed down, taken that very seriously deep breath after the Raiders come from behind 31-28 victory in, in Jersey today. To break this all down, the baron of the tape, my guy Ryan Holmes. Ryan, what's up? How you doing? Thanks for having me on. Now I guess the first thing I'm gonna talk about is how are you like hours after the game, are your heart still like pounding or are you just are you relaxed now? Oh no, I'm I'm not relaxed yet. My heart rate's still pretty high. Just trying to
2: come down from that, that game. The season was on the line, luckily. You know the miracle, the Meadowlands, or whatever we're going to call this in the future happened. Rugs got deep, and the Raiders were able to get out of there with a W. But uh, no, I'm usually after a loss or even a tight win like this. Probably don't come settle down until I wake up tomorrow morning.
3: It was definitely a lot to get into. Now, first thing I want to talk about is John Gruden's play calling. Did 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 you feel he he called? the game a little tight today, or or was it the, the Jets, what they presented defensively, that changed his mind? It just felt like the, the game plan was a little stiff.
2: It was an interesting game plan. I, I thought they were going to come in, especially after the struggles they had last week, and try to go back to their identity and run the ball. I know they didn't have Josh Jacobs, that they were relying a lot on Booker, but again, we saw pretty early that they abandoned the running game in the first half. It was a lot of shotgun. Um, A lot of 22 personnel, uh, which was kind of – I'm sorry, 12 personnel, which is kind of interesting, two tight ends on the field. They didn't – they went kind of pass-heavy. You would think they'd go more 13 or 11 personnel, um, get three wide outs on the field. But you kind of saw two tight ends, two wide receivers, and then kind of in the gun with Booker offset, and and Rashard got a couple of carries. But I I think being out of the shotgun really limited what they could do in the running game. And, again, it looked like they didn't even try until they came out in the second half, which was – it kind of interesting. I was hoping that they would just pound the rock against the Jets until they kind of wilted and gave up, but Greg Williams figured it out pretty quickly that they weren't going to run, so he was just bringing blitz after blitz after blitz, and he saw it in the first half. It was almost every play, and it was interesting. They were bringing, they were bringing a guy through the A-gap, and, and the Raiders were kind of slide-protecting that out, and they were having the running back come up and take the guy in the A-gap. And Gruden was dialing up plays down the field that looked like they took a while to develop, and Carr was just holding the ball in the pocket, and, and the running back's not going to hold up in pass protection very long. And there was a couple times where he just had to throw the ball away and a couple sacks there at the end of the half. And I just, I just didn't understand the game plan, getting away from the run. And then once they started dialing up all the blitzes, he didn't really go to the short game. He was still trying to throw the ball down the field, which I know they have three rookie corners or three rookies out in that secondary, but... It just took too long to make an adjustment, and you saw it on the second drive there, and for the first drive in the second half, a quick hitch, a waller break the tackle touchdown. I thought they go to a lot of that once the blitzes started coming, and their game really hinged on those two drives in the third quarter. They basically went three and out. They had the ball at midfield, in the forty yard line, could have gone up thirty-one to thirteen, and then we wouldn't even be having this conversation. But um, some very conservative play calling in those two drives to keep the Jets in the game, and then. The 96-yard touchdown drive kind of made it into a ball game there late.
3: Now, when you look at Derek Carr, if you look at his numbers, he had an excellent day numbers-wise, but the film tells a different story. And for me, my reaction was many of those throws, he, you could tell by the look on or the body language from uh, Nelson Aguilar that Carr missed him a few times and it was starting to mount as far as the pressure. Carr didn't seem his normal Chris self. Do you think that's a, the weather or the fact that the Jets were actually getting back there? I think it was a combination of everything. You're right. I, I
2: felt, in my opinion, Carr played, if you ask me, I'd say C minus D plus game. I know he threw for 381 yards, and i winning touchdown there at the end, but he got a lot of help uh, from that cover zero blitz. But you, you just saw, I think, Greg Williams, once the, the pressure started getting there, he just kept bringing it, and he knew that, you know, Carr has a history of not playing well when guys get around him and the pocket's not, not clean. And you saw it, his, his accuracy was off a little bit today. I think his completion percentage was under 60%, somewhere. I think it was like 28 to 47. And you saw him off target, a couple of misreads there with Aguilar. Um, even some of the balls that got caught were off target. They were high. They were behind guys. The, the, the interception, they went off Ruggs' hands. Um, there's been a lot of debate on Twitter whose fault that was. I'm leaning more in the car. I know he got a fingertip on it, but he was fully extended. He had a safety bearing down on him. You you can't throw that ball that high. You've got to put it on his body. And there was a lot where you saw the touch just kind of disappear, too. He was throwing some lasers on two or three-yard passes that guys just couldn't handle. And he was just out of rhythm today, which I know we have all the excuses from last week and, and the birth of his daughter and all that, but to me, if you're a franchise quarterback, you don't go on the road and perform like that against the Jets.:
3: No, the winless Jets. Now, <laughs> you mentioned the going away from the run game and they had kind of started this pattern last week down the stretch. Is this a problem, or do, do you think once or how long, it, how long it takes Josh Jacobs to get healthy that this will be rectified in the long run towards the end of the season?
2: I think it's a problem. I think this is going to come up um, later in the season. The Colts have a very good defense. The Chargers have a good defense. The Dolphins have a good defense. And when, Carr, when everything's put on top of Carr the last two weeks, you've kind of seen the good and the bad come up. And he's, got, he's a guy that has to have good protection around him. He's got to have a running game. The Raiders need to be under center. They need to have the, the threat of play action. And when he's standing in the shotgun, he doesn't have any of that. So I think they're going to have to run the ball. To be successful, they need way more balance than they've had the last two weeks. I think Trent Brown coming back next week is going to be a huge help. Um, it was interesting that they went to Sam Young today over Brandon Parker. And we know Parker struggled last week, but that was an interesting development that I don't think a lot of Raider fans thought was going to happen. But the identity of this team, and we've talked about it on this podcast for the last four or five weeks, is running the football. And that's something that they haven't done the last two weeks. And you, they've let the Falcons and, and the Jets hang around. And actually, the Falcons blew them out.
3: No, I saw something I haven't seen in pretty much his entirety as a Raider was Rodney Hudson was having his hands full with the defensive tackle. Quentin Williams was getting home and he was wrecking things. Do you think that this, this speaks more for the ascent of Quentin Williams or do you think this is a, a Rodney Hudson just being beat by a better player or by beaten by a stronger player, I should say.
2: Well, Williams has played well the last three or four weeks. He kind of struggled early in the season, but he's really come on of late. Uh, He's a handful in the trenches. He's a young player. I I believe he's still 21 years old. Uh, So his best football is in front of him and he did give uh, Rodney Hudson and Denzel Good a tough time today. And I, I wouldn't be concerned about Rodney Hudson too much in the long run. He's had some really good games this year and he's He's the leader of that offensive line, and I think he he probably has another three or four years in him where he can be the rock of, of the offensive line. So I'm not really worried about one game. He's played well
3: most of the season. I agree. Now, if we turn towards Darren Waller, what, what can we say? First, were you surprised the number of targets with 17 and the fact that catching 13 is good for Waller and the fact that he just... Look so comfortable versus the coverages that the Jets threw at him. What, what do you do? You think this is a game that will build upon his confidence? We've seen this year that uh, Waller has suffered with a few struggle drops.
2: I think he can build on this game. This is similar back to Week Two against the Saints. I think he went for twelve and one hundred and ten. Obviously, going for 200 yards, I, I saw somewhere he's the fourth tight end in the history of the league to go for 200 yards in one game. But I was more concerned. I was wondering what the Jets were doing. Like they were singling him up against linebackers who had no chance. Um, rookie cornerbacks, safeties—they never really doubled him. They didn't bracket him much. They didn't play him inside, outside with two defenders. Um, there was no real trap coverage on him underneath. But it was good to see him running more routes down the field. And that's something we talked about last week. Just getting him more involved in those routes and not, you know, the the quick run balls in the flat. Uh, We we saw the hitch again in the outside, but he broke a tackle and was able to score a
3: touchdown. But
2: moving him around and using him all over the field and getting him more vertical is big for this offense.
3: Now, when we turn towards receivers, Hunter Renfro, again, it's weird because he doesn't put up prolific numbers, but that third and Renfro thing is – it's, a, it's real, and for someone who is not physically gifted, as Renfro is, and he would be the first person to tell you, what makes him so good in his offense?
2: I think he's really quick, and he can get in and out of his cuts and not lose any speed. So he's really good at those option routes, return routes, pivot routes, anything where he's going one way and, and can get leverage on a, a defender and then break back the other way. It's really hard to stay with him. He doesn't look like a, a great athlete when you see him, but the guy's really quick, and he probably runs somewhere in the low 4.5s, high four four. so he's not slow. Um, but he just has exceptional footwork, and he's really disciplined in his routes, and his great hands. You see him catching a lot of balls away from his body. He's not a body catcher, and Derek Carr really trusts him. On third down, that's where he's going. And I was surprised, I, I think it was the second a three and out late in the third quarter early in the fourth quarter on a third down and five where they threw the slant to waller they got tipped the raiders weren't 13 personnel they had three tight ends and rugs on the field Renfro wasn't even on the field so it was kind of surprising when they broke the huddle there and then obviously they had to punt but uh yeah Carr really trusts him. and once you have Carr's trust like he's just going to keep feeding you and we've seen that throughout his whole career whether it's james jones whether it's michael crabtree when he went away from amari cooper and now it's it's basically Aguilar's got that trust on the outside along with Renfro and Waller.
3: Now I look at the offensive game. Oh the offensive drive late and do you think it was more of the Raiders executing not the last play but the the drive at the end of the game. Do you think it was more of the Raiders executing or the Jets just being schemed poorly?
2: Are you talking about the, the touchdown drive or the drive before when they failed in the end zone?
3: The drive before.
2: I was really questioning some of those play calls. I mean, they got down there, they needed a touchdown, and you had first and goal, and they ran the ball twice. I know they didn't want to give the ball back to the Jets with any time on the clock, but I, I wouldn't trust the Jets for the length of the field with a minute left. You know, worst-case scenario, they're going to kick a field goal and tie it. And then on third down, you kind of saw the really conservative car. He didn't take a chance, and he kind of just rolled out and threw it out of bounds, which, I mean, at some point, you've got to give your guys a chance in the end zone and let someone make a play for you. You might get a defensive pass interference. But, and then on the fourth down play, he kind of threw off his back foot. And, you know, there, was, there was a blitz coming, but he had time to stand in there and deliver that ball, and he's kind of fading away for no reason. The ball comes up short, and he's throwing a very low percentage pass to, to Aguilar, and the ball doesn't get to him. But in those four plays there in a row, I, I was really scratching my head and why they weren't going to Waller in the red zone there because they, they didn't cover him the whole game. And they kind of went away from him for four straight plays. Um, the Raiders did get bailed out there by, obviously, the play at the end of the game with the cover zero to, to Ruggs. And they had Aguilar to play before. Carter missed him. But th- this was just a, a, a baffling game all around, but one at the end of the day where there's a W in the column and that's all that matters.
3: This is true. I mean, it's, it's – a. Uh... It's a a fair take and it's honest. Now, we come back from break. I want to discuss the Raiders defense and why I just don't see this as a playoff team. You are listening to the Full Press Raiders podcast on the Full Press Coverage Network. We are back with the FPC Raiders podcast. Terrence Biggs, Ryanald, Ryan. Ugh, the Raiders defense. Let's let's start with the front four. We've said this time and time again. It just, with the exception of Cleveland Fairfield, we'll get to him, but the defensive tackles allowed 200 yards of of rushing from an anemic Jets offense. Ty Johnson had 104 on 22 carries. Josh Adams added 74 and 8. Sam Donald added 26 after and one of them was when he trucked Jeff Heath. Now, this late in the season, is it more of a lack of talent or lack of scheme or a, a marriage of both? I think it's a combination of
2: both, and I, I don't want to hear any Raider fans talk badly about Jonathan Abram ever again because they clearly missed him for for the lapses he has in coverage. He does help in the run game. He fills alleys. Guys are scared of him when they're on the field. But you you kind of saw today that the safety play was bad. The linebackers were missing their run fits, and then the Raiders on the inside. Um, other than Jonathan Hankins, the other defensive tackle that was on the field, they were just running right at him. Whoever was lined up next to Farrell and. You kind of saw the Jets keep running that same play. They ran it four or five times off the left side, and there was never an adjustment from Gunther. And I noticed this right away. But if you go back and watch it, Gunther wants the same as nickel defense. He wants this four-two-five. He wants a Marcus Joiner on the field, no matter what the personnel is. And they were the Jets were lining up in a two-by-one formation with two receivers to the left. They were motioning the slot receiver to the right, and instead of Joiner going with him, the Raiders were sliding down. So the outside linebacker, when they only have two linebackers on the field was moving out to cover the slot, whether that was Moreau or Littleton. So essentially what you had was LaMarcus Joyner with the slot corner was sliding in to replace the linebacker. Now he's playing linebacker alongside Kwiatkowski, and the Jets are running right at him. And the offensive guards were just absolutely blowing that side. The defensive tackle was there, whether it was Vickers or Hurst or whoever was in on that, that side. Ross got some snaps. And then once they got to the second level, there was no way LaMarcus Joyner was holding up in a run fit. And they were just running, gashing them 10, 15, 20 yards off that left side. And there was never an adjustment. And then on top of that, I don't think, just from watching the game, the run fits were not good. I mean, they basically gave up 200 yards rushing to the worst offense in the league. They gave up 28 points, which is a season high for the Jets. The Jets could have scored more than that. Um, And the Jets turned the ball over three times. They still scored 28 points. They went up and down the field pretty much for the most of the game. And they gave up 24 first downs to, again, the worst Offense in the league with averaging 12 or 13 points a game. So I know that the sacks are there. I know that Mullen got the interception. But overall, this defense had a very bad day against a very bad offense. And that's a bad sign moving forward when you have the Chargers come and the Colts come and the Dolphins come and even the Broncos. I mean, they have firepower. I know Drew Locke was terrible the first time they played him. But there's no way, if this is a playoff defense, they hold the Jets to 10, 13 points. They don't give up 28 points to that offense.
3: no. One of the things that surprised me today was, once a year, apparently, uh, Cleveland Farrell has a a big game. Does this does his game today speak to the porousness of the Jets' offensive line, or does it speak to his emergence as a player? We talked last week about how theoretically, in a logical world, he's pretty much playing up the string in Vegas. Like he's gonna play his next couple of years, not get that uh not get that fifty year tender and kinda of move on. Do you see this as kind of a glimpse into what Mike Mayock saw or just more like, you know what, it's it was it was a Jets and he'll go back to form next week.
2: Well it'll be interesting to see. he's gonna to need to keep bringing the pass rush and it was interesting because Mekhi Becton's actually played very well for the Jets, so it's not like he's beating a guy out there that's terrible. Like, that, that's, that rookie's been a monster all season. So He did have a good uh, speed rush on him around the outside and was able to get the ball out. The second sack was more of they were running a stunt. He was basically just trying to, to pick the tackle and have the guard go with him so they could run a stunt around him, and he kind of just split the two because um, the guard and the tackle had a little bit of space in between them there, and he was able to turn the corner there, shoot through, and get the sack. Uh, he he's going to have to keep doing that. I was surprised Max Crosby didn't really do much today against George Fant. I, I know the Jets ran the ball 34 times to 23 passes, but I, I thought that was the guy that was going to get sacked. I thought Crosby was coming off the right side against George Fant would have, have, the, have a day against him, and he didn't. Um, Arden Key didn't show up. Vic Beasley looked like he got a couple of pressures, obviously no sacks, but he looked like... He was somewhat capable, but the pass rush is really going to have to step up. But it was good to see Farrell back in there. Maybe the two weeks off was good for him. I know having COVID's not not good for anybody, but he definitely bounced back and had a very strong game today.
3: One of the things lost on this atrocious defense is how well Nick Morrow is playing in spots where he turned out to be one of their better blitzers. He got home again, and he doesn't he play he gets home. He blitzes under control. He's not just wild all over the place. And if you kind of draw that comparison to Corey Littleton, at what point do we chart Corey Littleton's twenty twenty up to being a lost year? Well, I think we're getting close. Uh, he's
2: losing snaps. He did last week. I'm interested to see what the snap count was this week. I would assume that he didn't play as much as the other two guys, Moreau and Um He does bring an element to where he can line up and play man on, on a guy that's off the line of scrimmage, whether it's a tight end or a running back. Uh, he's a little bit better against the run than Moreau, but Moreau's sack was actually a run blitz on first down where they brought both backers, and he basically the after the play fake, he ran right by the running back. But I, I still think... It's going to be hard for Mayock and Gruden to to swallow the pill on that one after the year. Uh, I'm almost positive Littleton's going to get a second year in this defense or whatever defense we have next year with a defensive coordinator. And Moreau's going to be a little bit expensive next year, and I'm sure there's going to be teams out there that, that are going to like him based off his tape this year. I just don't see the Raiders investing the money in Moreau. I'd, I'd say it's 50-50. He's, Moreau's probably not on this team next year.
3: No, that's just looking forward. That's fair. If we shift towards the secondary. Do the Raiders shut down Damon Arnett for a week because it just seemed like he's getting nicked up a lot?
2: I would think that next week is going to be hard for him to get on the field after basically what he came off the field three times in a matter of five snaps the last two weeks with head injuries. Uh, and it's you know just getting his head in there, not having the proper technique, and kind of just getting it, helmet to helmet. He's taking the brunt of those blows. It, it's tough. It's a must-win game. They need to beat the Colts. They need to beat the Dolphins if they have any chance of making the playoffs. And I think ten and six, they still might not make it based on the schedules of the Browns, the Colts, the Ravens. I know they're six and five, but they if they if the Ravens beat Cleveland, there's a chance they're going to go eleven and five based on their schedule. So I, I would I would sit them down for at least a week it'd be hard to run him out there again. And you saw without Isaiah Johnson, they didn't really have any depth. They had to go to Nixon at safety a little bit at times. Uh, They had to, I don't know how much Robertson played. I didn't really notice him on the field. And then Joyner got dinged up a little bit, but depth is definitely becoming a concern at corner. And and Arnett's basically missed over half the season now.
3: Between COVID, the broken wrist, and the mounting head injury, it's a concern. Now, is it too soon to kind of look at Trayvon Mullen as possibly the best defender that they have on that defense?
2: No, he's definitely up there. I mean, if you wanted to talk upside, you could argue – Crosby. you could argue if Abram ever learns how to play in zone coverage, but the most consistent guy week in and week out, he Mullen might not have the ceiling of those two guys, but he's a better player right now and he's more consistent down to down. And is he a true number one that's going to lock up guys? I don't know about that. He could be a solid number two. I think he can play great in spurts and give you flashes of, a, of a, you know a cornerback one. I don't know. He's never going to be Jalen Ramsey. Uh, those kind of guys, but he can be a very dependable corner, and this, for the Raiders, they need as many of those kind of guys as they
3: can get. Now, we need to talk about the last, the last or the game winning touchdown from a point of Greg Williams. Now, I'm gonna lay out a theory to you. You know, you can tell me if this is too conspiracy theory oriented or it has legs. Now, back in October. The Jets were giving up 32 points a game. Greg, Greg Williams said this. That wasn't good, but, quote, it is a lot, but a lot of it is not defensively. So he was pretty much inferring that the problem with the team was the offensive fault. He has bickered with Adam Gase to the point where Adam Gase has said to him, everyone needs, everyone needs to shut up and play. everyone knows that Greg Williams is difficult. Just his personality, just not, he runs you the wrong way. There's a, there's a theory that he wanted to hold this L or be super, super aggressive knowing what was going to happen because John Gruden saw it coming. This is the uh, Boogie McFarlane theory. he, proposed that Williams, because he despises his gaze to that point where he wants him to have that winless record, decided to get this careless knowing that Gooden would see it coming. That's why they ran the double move with Ruggs. Do you buy this, or do you just buy Greg Williams just botching it in a key point? I
2: love I don't- conspiracy theories, and that's a way better theory than they're tanking for Trevor because that coaching staff's not going to be there next year, and those players, most of them won't be there next year. So they're going to do whatever they can to win the game. Greg Williams is is a difficult guy to work with if you saw hard knocks with the, with the Browns and everything that went on with Hugh Jackson and, and like you mentioned, the quotes. Earlier this year where Greg Williams basically threw Adam Gase into the bus, I could definitely see Greg Williams wanting Adam Gase to wear that 0-16 for the rest of his life. I just think he got super aggressive in a spot where he shouldn't have and the game plan was to pressure Carr as much as they could, and he just called the wrong defense at the wrong time. If I would have liked to have seen a leader or someone on that defense call timeout and make sure that that's the defense they wanted to be in. That was surprising that, you know, there wasn't someone on that Jess defense, whether it be Marcus May or, you know, someone in that secondary that's been around, after that call comes in, because the Raiders didn't have any timeouts. If they catch the ball anywhere but out on the sideline or in the end zone, that game is over. They can't stop the clock. So I was really surprised they went to that coverage where they basically brought seven. I I don't know if they had a spy. I think that guy was more man-to-man with Rashard. But when Rashard stayed in to pick up the blitz, he was kind of caught there. Um, I don't think they were were spying Carr, as I've seen some theories. But, man, I don't know if, like, I've, I've heard some Raider fans ask, hey, you know, would you hire Greg Williams next year for your defense coordinator? Absolutely not. Like, that is not a guy you want in your building he's he's had a personality issue everywhere he's been, and then to call that, that's reckless. Like, I saw somewhere where that's never happened. And there was a database, I think it was ESPN, since 2006, mm-hmm. where a team with less than 15 seconds left up by four to eight points called a blitz with seven rushers. That's never happened in the last 15 years. There's a reason for that. Um, but no, I, I, that, that theory is a lot better than they got a call from management from up top that said lose the game on the second to last play. Like, if that was the case, they would have given up, they would have given up a touchdown on the drive before, when the Raiders failed on third and goal. But I, I just I just can't fathom how someone on that defense didn't call timeout and go over there and want to make sure. And Adam Gase has a headset on; he knows the play calls are going in, and now he doesn't call the timeout and get out of that defense. Just shows you that the lack of leadership that's going on, and there's a reason why the Jets are 0 and 12.
3: Seems like he's mailing it too, and it kind of, in hindsight, looks like Jamal Adams it was right to request his way out of town but if we spin it forward in our last segment to talk about the Indianapolis Colts, the Raider fans want to see, they the the natural tendency of fans to look at Phillip Rivers his last year with the Chargers as far as somebody just threw the ball up in the air and just kind of winged it that way as far as how it's going to be in Indianapolis. But behind what most consider one of the better offensive lines in football. He's different this year. He's, well, he's still old and he's still slow, but he doesn't seem to throw the same, I'm just going to throw the ball up the, up for grabs passes. The the passes have a little bit more of a purpose and an intent. Now, one of the, the matchups I want to see is what can the Raiders do to nullify the best guard in the league, which is Quentin Nelson.
2: Well, that's going to be a touch match, tough matchup because Quentin Nelson's probably going to be lined up across from the worst Raiders defensive lineman, whoever's playing that three technique next week. And if it's Kendall Vickers, he's going to have a day there. So the Raiders are going to have to do some sort of slanting or stumping on their defensive line to try to create some confusion. The biggest concern I have going into the game, and I think you hit it, is if they can't stop the run against the Jets, the Colts are just going to line up and keep running it with Jonathan Taylor, uh, Jordan Wilkins, Nakeem Hines. They're just going to keep handing it off. And then the biggest difference I've noticed from watching Colts games this year is you're not seeing, like you said, the yolo throws. But just I, I'm going to heave it up because I've got a six five guy, Mike Williams, or you know, I'll go way back, Vincent Jackson or a guy like that on the outside. It's more he's going to dump the ball in the flat to those running backs. Hines is a, nat, a matchup nightmare. Moali Cox at tight end is very athletic. They have T.Y. Hilton back now. Michael Pittman's back. Um, there's a guy named Passwall that's making plays for him. So he's throwing a lot more balls underneath and a lot more crossing routes and so just getting the ball in those guys' hands and letting them go. And the Raiders, I, I think we're going to have to blitz a little bit this week, but, you know, I don't think Rivers is a threat at all to run. So, But you can't just rush full and let him stand back there because I don't think the defensive line is going to get enough pressure on him. And he's going to pick him apart unless they, put, unless they get to him. So I'd like to see it, uh, some blitzes bring Morrell, bring Abram, Make rivers move around, make them uncomfortable.
3: And if they don't
2: and they don't stop the run, they're going to give up 30 or 40 points again.
3: Another one of the matchups I want to see is how huh, former Raider Danilo Archery. You know, it somehow he was the one that got away, where he bet on himself and he's had productive seasons on the carpet in Indianapolis when. Because people forget that he may be only like 265 or 260, but he's very tall and long arms. I want to see how the Raiders deal with him from the inside. And they also have uh, Justin Houston, who was the the longest-term headache as far as when he was with the Chiefs. How do you think the Raiders should attack those two?
2: Hopefully Trent Brown's back so he can handle Houston off the right side. I think the bigger issue is going to be DeForest Buckner on the inside, so they're going to have to handle him too. Uh, Autry is kind of similar to Mo Hearst. It's a guy that's got some pass rushing ability. He's obviously had more success getting to the quarterback than Hurst has in his short career, but similar players, undersized. You know, just want to shoot gaps, get in there, create havoc, get after the quarterback. Uh, I think they're probably going to line him up more across from good and let him work against good. Uh, hopefully, it's going to be a big game for Gabe Jackson. He's going to have to basically block Buckner one-on-one and they might have to give Hudson's going to have to go back and forth between the two to give help. He can't just focus on one of them. Uh, and hopefully, like I said, Trent Brown, this is a big game for him because like Justin Houston against Sam Young or Brandon Parker, when you have to, you have to block them one-on-one. You're not going to be able to help those guys. You got to block those two interior guys. Uh, it could be trouble for the Raiders, but it, it could be, I mean, they play a lot of cover too. It's a, it's a, fairly not a tough defense to get the ball down the field. They're very sound. They don't run a lot of coverage, but it's it's going to be more, again, they're going to need to get the ball over the middle of the field, let Waller, let Werenfeld work against those backers, and they're going to have to run the ball. If they, are going to have, if they get into a situation where they're going to drop back 40-plus times, and Carr's not going to take those hole shots down the sideline and cover, too. He's just going to dump the ball off. Uh, and you saw a little bit of what Greg Williams, and what I thought he was doing today by bringing those blitzes up the middle, he was basically taking the running back out of every route. He was keeping him in the block, and there was no check down for the first three quarters of that game. So Carr was forced to hold the ball a little bit longer. But the Raiders have to run the ball instead of play action. or They're going to have a long
3: day against that, that defense by the Colts. Now, offensively, for the Colts, they like to feature, not feature, but they have three tight ends in L.A. Cox, Jack Doyle and Trey Burton, where they may not be elite guys, but they get the job done. Is this the game that we see Corey Lilton stand out, or do you see him get picked on?
2: Well, I think it's a challenge for him because all three of those guys are a little bit different. Malali Cox is, is the athlete, the basketball player with size, jumping ability. Trey Burton's the smaller, shiftier guy. Um, it's kind of an H-back that he can play the tight end. And, and Doyle's kind of a, a white, stiff, blocking-looking guy that can – he's trouble underneath, and he's really smart against zone coverage. So it's going to be a mixture of those three guys. Littleton, ideally he's there to stop Cox and hopefully Klikowski and, and, and Morrow and some of those hook routes, and maybe a safety can come down and, and handle Doyle. I think the red zone defense is going to be big. They didn't, they didn't hold the Jets to any field goals today. They let them score four touchdowns in the red zone. Uh, if they held them to two touchdowns and two field goals, this game's over long before that. So they're going to have to hold the Colts, Colts to, to field goals. I know the Colts are going to move the ball fairly well up and down the field, and it's going to be what do they do when the Colts get in the red zone because that was a big concern today. Now, gut
3: feeling, do the Raiders win this game?
2: I believe they will. Uh, they've played well against the Colts in the past. They they have history with Rivers. I think as much as you feel bad coming out of this game, a win's a win, but I think the Raiders just realize, or hopefully they realize, they just got a second burst to their season. Their season should be over right now. But they have a chance to do something the last four games of the season. They're going home for three of the last four. They have three home games in a row. I think the light's going to come on, and we're going to see more of – the Raiders that we saw earlier in this season, you know, weeks two, three, four, five, and hopefully they can put a stretch together here. They're going to need to win three of the last four to have a chance. But I I think I'm more concerned with the Chargers game, believe it or not, on Thursday on a short week with Justin Herbert coming in with how well they moved the ball against the Raiders the first time. But I think the Raiders show up, and I think that they pull out a win next week.
3: Overarching question, do you think they make the playoffs?
2: I'm going to lean no. and I know it's hard for me to say that, but just looking at the schedules of some of the other teams, let's say the Raiders go 10 and 6. Let's say they win three of the last four. Well, the Browns are at 9. The Browns are going to win 11 if they go 2 and 2, so they're in. And I think the Colts are going to figure out a way to win 2, maybe 3. So they're going to be at 10 or 11. If the, if the Colts win this week, the Raiders are basically, basically in trouble. but the team that I'm concerned about is the Ravens. They're 6-5. and five. They play Cleveland next week. But after that, they have four very winnable games. They play the Giants, the Jets, and the Bengals. And they're going to figure out a way to get to 11-5 and five if they can beat the Browns. So Raider fans will need to be big. Cleveland Browns fans next week, they need to beat the Ravens. Uh, but the Raiders still have to go out and, and do their handle their own business. So I think a team might go 10-6 and six and get left out of this thing.
3: Now, if people wanted to follow you on social media and and observe your film your film breakdowns how they contact you
2: i'm on twitter uh the twitter handle is at our home 22 it's r-h-o-l-m 22 i have video breakdowns for the past three seasons on there and should be up monday afternoon tuesday morning every week
3: now, you can find our content at fullpresscoverage.com backslash Raiders, or you can follow us on Twitter at FPC underscore Raiders. Ryan, as always, thank you so much for joining us this week. Thank you for having me. it has been another episode of the FPC Raiders podcast. Be good to yourselves, be good to each other.
0: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.